Christ Fellowship. Good to meet you. God bless you. Can everybody say amen? Amen. 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 That's how we do it. Look, Aaron's been at camp all week with teenagers. Let's go, oh. <laughs> but he's back, baby. And uh, let me tell you, Jesus at times, the pressures of ministry of we are moving people trying to drag them, kicking and screaming to get them closer to Christ and salvation. And the Bible describes that as a war, a literal war that goes on. And the reason Jesus emptied himself in his three and a half years was so that we could experience what we're experiencing this morning. And Aaron is a faithful and godly minister. And I want you to give him a big round of applause. Because what most people think, most people think they think of their minister that they only work one day a week. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that ministers have one of the most demanding jobs in all the world. And we thank you for what you do for the kingdom and your wife and, the, and your family. But really happy to be here with you this morning. And one of the things I'm really happy about is what's happening here. At this place, at this time, in Portsmouth, Virginia... You know, the things you've done here at this church are tremendous. Now, I've kind of, you, you read a lot about new church works and, and, and how they send big teams in to start these new works. It's really hard to revitalize a church that's been in existence since, when was uh, Victory Boulevard established? Anybody remember? In the 50s. It takes a lot more energy to, to reinvigorate uh, an, an existing work. So what you're doing here is absolutely tremendous, and what you've done in this building is really amazing. So thank you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what you're doing here. So God bless you all. Now, this morning, I kind of want to, because I know the pressures that Christians are going to be under in this world in which we live right now. We are not the home team anymore. When we were, this country was founded, we were really grounded in the Bible, where the founding fathers grounded us in Scripture. But now we're not the home team. Most people think that what we're doing is a little bit strange to give up our Sundays and give up our every day to serve the Lord. So I'm just telling you, thank you for all you do. And in this world, I want to ask, do you think, I'm going to ask you a question, do you think over the last 30, 40 years that we're becoming more happy more harmonious in society, less stressful, and more at peace? Would you say that's true or false? false. It's false. And we know it's false because we sense that there's something wrong in the world. And billions today are spent on, on anxiety medications, counseling, yoga, hot yoga, <laughs> goat yoga. I know the progressives say once we get rid of the Bible and once we get rid of Christians that worlds were spiraling upwards and then we're going to reach a new utopia. Well, I know that they're wrong just because of goat yoga. We are not, we're not spiraling upwards. We're spiraling out of control. Aaron, can I hear an amen? <laughs> Celebrities. One after another, choosing to end their life. Just recently, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. I never thought Robin Williams would take his life. And they have everything. 
They have fame and fortune, popularity, anything this world could offer, they had at their disposal. But they were not satisfied in life. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to life. Now, back in the 70s, I was at Towson State University, and I majored in sociology. <laughs> what was that? Was that because of that? <laughs> or Towson State University? Oh, that's a, that's a fair, oh, cool. Well, this is what I'm talking about. I've studied, anybody, anybody had a problem with worry in your life? Fear? Lack, lack of purpose? That's what I want to talk about today. And back in 1970s, I attended Towson State University in Baltimore, and I graduated with a degree in sociology. So I like studying society and where it's going, minored in psychology. But let me tell you how our world has devolved since we've chosen to take God out of the core of our existence as individuals and as Americans. In the 1950s, we lost innocence. That was the decade that little black box came into our homes. It was called a TV, and it had tubes in the back of it, and there were no remotes, and it was black and it was white. That's how it came in. And that's how Hollywood started to have its influence over us. And back then it was really, you know, leave it to Beaver and, and uh, a Father Knows Best. It was good moral programming. But it introduced Hollywood to be able to come into our very homes. In the 1960s, my generation, we lost authority. My generation said God is dead. The Beatles are more popular than Jesus. We can't trust anyone over 30. We touted free love and communes and flower power. And we, we were the Woodstock generation. And authority started to wane from our society. In the 1970s, we lost love, true love. And we traded it for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Pornography started to run rampant in mainstream. And we traded love for sex. In the 1980s, we lost every sense of style. <laughs> Amen. In the 1980s, we lost values. The movie Wall Street was a popular movie at that time. Kirk Douglas played Gordon Gecko, and he said, greed is good. In the 1990s, we lost faith. Oklahoma bombing, downturn in the economy, evil seemed to be prevailing. Things seemed to go from bad to worse. And then it was time for the turn of millennium. What happened in the turn of the millennium? It was be Y to K. It's kind of the first generation. And it was the time of 9-11 when we were attacked. Americans, for the first time, were rocked to this core of their being, wondering if their world could be secure. 
by the mid-2000s, we lost hope. Hopelessly divided Congress, porous national borders, terrorism on our shores, natural disasters increasing, legalization of marijuana, sexual rights, everything seemed to be okay. And by the core of us, we know we're losing hope. And now, in 2018, we have lost civility. We're totally divided. I don't want to be an alarmist, but I'm telling you, if we don't start getting our act together, if we don't get revival going on in this country, there's a chance of anarchy in the streets could even lead to civil war again. Jesus comes along and he says, with all this going on, to be happy, you need to be holy. To be happy, you need to be reconciled back to God. Happiness, not the way the world describes it, but a true happiness that bubbles up inside of you, a living water that only God can bring into your life. The world is craving for it, and they don't know it. They're trying to get everything from the world instead of from God. There's a saying that says, if, God, if there is no God, nothing matters. And that's how we've been living our lives for the past 50 years. But the Bible teaches, if there is a God, nothing else matters. That's how Jesus lived. That's how the apostles lived. That's how true disciples of Jesus Christ learned to live. That if there is a God, nothing else in this world matters but us doing his will and pleasing him. And the world tries to entice you that the world is the answer for happiness. Now, preachers can't go to many movies because they always throw a cuss word in it or, or a sexual scene or something in there that you just can't even be a part of and won't be too embarrassed to be a part of. But when Livy was younger, we watched The Lion King. And I love The Lion King. But that's a message of Disney about how to, how to achieve happiness. And the song was Akuna Matata. And it said, no worries for the rest of your days. Well, we know we live in a tough world. We know that's not the case. We're going to have difficulties. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. Each and every one of the apostles would lose their lives because they were following Jesus Christ. But then there's kind of a more realistic song that came out back in the 70s. And it was by Bobby McFerrin. See if you remember it. Here's a little song I wrote. Might want to sing it note for note, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I love young congregations. <laughs> In every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it trouble. <laughs> Double, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came to took your bed, don't worry. The landlord said, your rent is late. You might have to litigate. Don't worry. Jesus. Yeah, okay. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the devil comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I come that you have life abundantly, that you have life to the full. So here's the scenario. There's a big world out there. And the devil's trying to steal, 
kill and destroy your joy. He will use material things. He will use good things. He will use anything to rob you of what would bring you true peace and happiness. We live in a fallen world after the Garden of Eden. We live in the flesh. This flesh wants immediate satisfaction all the time. The Bible is going to tell us that we can be inwardly transformed to live a life of godliness and holiness and peace. The prescription of the devil is chaos, and he's bringing it into our world. The more we have thrown God out of society and out of our families and out of the church even, we're bringing this judgment on mankind. What's the solution? Jesus said, no matter how hard it gets in society, I have come that you have life and you have it to the full. So that kind of life, peace, and contentment can only come from a divine source. And that is from God himself. John 14, 27, Jesus would say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world do I give you. See, it's not from the world. It's coming from God. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor do not let it be fearful. And you say, that seems impossible. Well, it's not, because peace is a fruit of the Spirit of Almighty God. So you can have everything that the world has to offer, and you can be in turmoil from the inside out. Jesus says, if you do life my way, I will give you peace. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. Let me give you a definition of peace. It's the absence of worry in trouble because of absolute trust and faith in God's providential plan and his ability to care for us. Jesus had the shalom of God while he walked this earth, even though he was going to suffer a cruel death on the cross. For us to experience the shalom of God, we must build a bridge from our worries to God's peace. Life's stressful situations are all around us. We cannot avoid them. But those situations reveal our anxiety and they do not cause, they are not the cause of our anxiety, they reveal our anxieties. So when worries well up, and they will in this life, we've got to be grounded in Christ Jesus and we have to know that when worries strike, it's our battle cry for spiritual action. If you start looking at worry as a friend to show you that you're trusting too much in yourselves instead of trusting and abiding in him. Worry is an over-concern of self. And we live in a selfie world. We live in a world that we're putting our best foot forward all the time, yet we may not have peace that passes all understanding. Now, how many of you remember when you took your child to the beach or the ocean for the first time? I remember it clearly. I cannot believe my daughter's 26, 20, 
almost 27 years old. Seems like just the other day we were just, she was two pounds, five ounces. I held her in my hand, her little legs dangled right down there. Remember the time, she'd been in the pool a lot of times, even when she was a baby in your mother's arms. And, but the time we went to the beach for the first time, and you wrap your loving arms around your child, and you take that child out into the water, and there's waves coming in, and you're bouncing up and down and giggling and having fun. The child doesn't seem to be concerned. Why? Because her dad had his big old fat arms around her. She knew I'd care for her. She knew I had the power to watch over her. She knew I could get her back to, back to the shore without harm. She would, she would know I would not visibly put her into a, a, a place of harm. And that's exactly what the apostles knew and the apostle Paul knew who wrote the letter of Philippians. Paul has been in jail in Philippi for his faith. Paul, at times, was under house arrest, but in this later time in Philippians, he's writing Philippians, he's in a dungeon, and he's suffering for the Lord. And he says, I'm writing this letter of great joy to the church while he's in prison. And if, it's a, if, if you think that being an apostle in the first century was anything great and wonderful, well, let me just read you quickly a passage before we get into Philippians from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is what it was like to be the Apostle Paul. It wasn't a piece of cake. Yet this Apostle Paul is the one telling us we could have peace that passes all understanding. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 it says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. Paul was always defending himself. That's what he's kind of doing here in these verses here. He's defending his detractors. He says, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. That's what it was like to be an apostle in the first century, giving their whole life to God. Now, why, why wasn't Paul anguished in worry and fear? The big difference for the apostle Paul and the rest of the disciples they saw the risen Christ. They knew from the bottom of their heart that Christ was risen. I think we forget that too much in our walk with the Lord today. Christ is alive. Can I hear an amen? Christ is with you each and every day. Paul's life was Christ. It wasn't just a one-hour thing on Sunday. His life was Christ. If there is no God Nothing matters. You go party hardy. You drink, eat, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But if there is a God, you've got to let God be at the corner and the first fruit of everything you do. And then when you're working for him and you're striving for him 
and your life is his life and your mind is his mind, then you will start to see the big picture. And you will see that even in times of trouble, just the sense that God's working in you and through you, you can know this peace that passes all understanding. In Philippians chapter 4, we finally got to the outline. <laughs> that was the introduction. Don't panic, Aaron. <laughs> we get God's plea. This is what he's saying in verse of, of Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice. It's all we're going to do. Rejoice. He's just saying to the church, church, rejoice. Christ Fellowship, rejoice. It's an honor to be called the name Christian. It's an honor to play in the band. It's an honor to, to do PowerPoint for the first time here at Christ Fellowship. Can I give my virgin, my virgin guy a hand back there? <laughs> the virgin PowerPoint guy. <laughs> he tells us to rejoice. Have you come in here this morning looking, filled with the Spirit of God, rejoicing in just who we are in Him? Or have you come in here riddled with anxiety and fear and worry and lack of purpose in your life? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said in Philippians 2, 14 to 16, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul tells us to rejoice because of our position in Christ. Then he tells us to rejoice because of God's presence. He says, we're not just to rejoice in the things of the world. Jesus' peace was different than the world. He's saying we need to rejoice in the Lord. And then he's saying again, I say rejoice. Our rejoicing needs to be in the things of God. It needs to be in the person of Jesus Christ. It needs to be in the Holy Spirit that lies within you. You feed the spirit. He'll feed you joy. You feed the flesh, and you will be riddled with fear and anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord, he says, and again, I say rejoice. Now, you've been at camp all week. We could do rounds of rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> he just repeats it for for emphasis. Philippians, as I write this letter to you from prison, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And here's the key to it all. You may be saying, there's no way I can live in this world and have peace. But here's the key. It's God's proximity. The Lord is near. Verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When you're in close proximity to divine things, you're going to do what's right, what pleases God. His thoughts are going to be your thoughts. His ways are going to be your ways. 
His strength is going to become your strength. His peace facing death on the cross is going to be your peace. Apart from that proximity of God and that intimacy that comes from God, you will suffer just like the world. At camp, there was a young teenager ready to take his life right before he went to camp. I'm praying after Aaron's messages, he's going to have life that is truly life. Then the program of peace is just live in the presence of Almighty God. And this is where he says in verse 6 and 9, this is God's program for you. He says, do not be anxious about everything. That's the Apostle Paul. That's divine words. Look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and say, do not be anxious about anything. Go ahead. Now say, yeah, right. <laughs> we can't do it on our own. We can't do it in the flesh. But he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, that means you can't watch any TV. <laughs> he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, Jesus' life was about the divine focus, not a worldly focus. If we keep our thoughts and our actions and our prayers in him, we get into his presence, and his presence brings peace. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And listen, and the God of peace will be with you. Anxiety comes from insecurities. Intimacy and obedience fosters godly peace. God has the ability to care for you. When worry attacks, it's a reminder that we're living too much depending on self. When worry attacks, it means you're probably too entangled in the fleshly desires of this world. When, it, when worry hits your mind, first and foremost, it's going to. It hits us all. We need to take those thoughts captive and then remind ourselves of Scripture. We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in the Lord. We need to realize that the Lord is near. And we need to live in His peace and carry out His program. Have any of you ever heard of the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my... I shall not... Oh, oh, see, if the Lord is the shepherd of your life, you're not going to want. Jesus had no place to lay his head, and he was at pure peace. When you follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's an oasis. He leadeth me. Besides still waters, peace that passes all understanding. And here's the key. He restoreth my soul. Every person you'll ever meet has a soul. Only the things of God and the word of God can bring that person to peace. 
He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You're a walking ambassador for Christ Jesus. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'm going to be scared to death. I'll fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. But thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over living water from the inside out. And dig this. Two dudes are going to follow you all the rest of your life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul says, rejoice, Christ's fellowship. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And that peace that passes all understanding, dig this, will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. Only God can do that. The world can't. Medicine can't. Only Jesus can guard your mind and your heart. When your mind's guarded by God and your heart's guarded by God, you will be at peace because you can't be at peace until you're at first peace with God. God bless you.